now it's recording now it is recording man i haven't changed these batteries since before i left on my trip and they are still solid they are still going strong solid batteries i know i recorded like hours of stuff the other day and for some reason like they they drain really fast here but not in pennsylvania pennsylvania magic but i was trying to come up with something about put Put on your pants and pencil, but then I couldn't tie it in with magic. <laughs> Something about magic pants. Traveling pants? Maybe I was wearing my magic traveling pants. There's no pants like Pennsylvania pants. <laughs> That's like so many degrees removed from the original song. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, are we ready to go? I'm always ready to go. That's a lie. That is a lie. Say, <laughs> I mean, you're always... You're, you're not, like, not ready to go places. You usually just have to put on shoes. Because mm-hmm. I just don't care. You just don't primp and preen in front of the mirror very often. Um, so, let's begin. Let's begin. everyone i'm phil and i'm ollie and it's, it's del, del toro, toro time. time are you okay <laughs> i wasn't expecting to do the intro i thought we were just gonna go right in with the hey it's blah blah, blah. oh i mean we usually do but the blah blah blah, blah, blah is usually it's del toro time <laughs> hey everyone i'm phil and i'm ollie and it's, it's del, del toro, toro time. time it's del toro time and this week we are covering an episode of our own show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little, little personal reflection, a little look back. Let's mm-hmm. let's take a let's go back in time, shall we? To last week, to an episode you guys haven't heard yet. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna ask you all to reminisce with us about a thing you're not familiar with, and why are we even talking about it? And what is that thing? Our episode on Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak, not not Crimson Tide. Which that's not just a different thing. I almost I don't said know it. What that's that why is. I'm glad I let you take over the the conversation for that title drop because I almost said Crimson Tide. Um, it's a movie about a submarine. It had like two scenes written by Quentin Tarantino. It's pretty impressive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, this is not Crimson Tide. This is Crimson Peak, and we are here to talk about what occurred during, during that episode. During that episode, uh, which you haven't heard, but which we will. We're not going to play you the whole episode. No. Uh, that would be more of a not, struggle. Not fun. <laughs> yeah, more of a struggle for the listener, I think, than for the for the uh for us cuz mm-hmm. we're pretty pretty open about our our experiences. That's yeah. like the whole point of this show. Uh well, I mean, the whole point. The whole point of this show is to talk about the movie films of Guillermo del Toro. Um that the the pathway into that world is through the two of us. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty honest with our experiences. Yeah. But last week got a little too honest. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's unfair. I, we just think it, I just uh, going back and listening to it. I'm like, this might be a little too much for the audience to listen to. Sorry, um, there was something in my eye. The, the audience has absolutely no clue that you're rubbing your eye. No, but you do. And you looked at me weirdly. That's, uh, no, I, I looked at you weirdly because I, I can't really see you because I'm not wearing my glasses. Oh. So I'm like squinting like, You oh. could always put them on. I can put them on now. I took my headphones off. I have these great new noise-canceling headphones. Unfortunately, I cannot wear them with glasses because then the glasses are behind my ears and then I can't go over my ears well and it kind of like negates the entire noise-canceling effect of the noise-canceling headphones. Mm-hmm. That's my 
wonderful noise canceling headphone story. I'll be writing it out, and you can read it on my WordPress blog if you want. No, tale of the noise canceling headphones, which means that like when I listen to them, I'm just sitting there blind. Yeah, but it's fine. Deaf <laughs> because of, because if I walk around in them. They make a weird noise that I can't stand anyway, so I may as well just be sitting still. Anyway, enough about my fantastic $30 noise-canceling headphones. Um, what happened last week? Um, I did not enjoy the movie experience. It got very emotional. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of strong exchanges, and it was just kind of a disaster. Yeah. So what happened was we watched the movie Crimson Peak. I knew right off the bat that you weren't happy with it. But it was, I didn't quite understand. Well, I don't think at that point you were quite clear on what was going on. Like you seemed. I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah, you seemed angry at the movie, but I thought it was just because you thought it didn't work as a movie. But then you were like, no, I liked the, or you thought it was a good movie, but Mm -hmm. you were angry about it. And so I was like, oh, well, well, this is bound to happen. Like, we were bound to have a movie eventually that we didn't see eye to eye on. Yeah. And so I went and picked up some breakfast sandwiches, got a cup of joe, came back, and I was like, let's record our fun episode about this gothic romantic thriller. I Before you went and left, I was like, maybe we shouldn't record today. And you're like, no, no, let's record today. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, I'm just like, let's just do it. Like, we've done raw emotional shows before. Like, that's kind of the, that's kind of our bag. Like, we're not we're not a couple of comedians. We're not, we really aren't. We're just not sitting here making wise cracks about movies. We're also not film historians. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not sitting here, like, making, like, insightful. Well, I guess we make some insightful points, but we're not we're not using, like, film language. And we're not, like, breaking it apart the way, like, a film critic mm-hmm. would break a film apart. We're just we're being honest. About our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's our bread and butter, man. That's where we get all... That's where the cash rolls in. All the zero... Zero cash. <laughs> yep. People are like, I love that show with the crying Mexican and the emotional teenager. <laughs> uh. That's a good... That should be the name of our uh, next podcast. The crying Mexican and the emotional teenager. I mean... People would probably listen. Yeah, they would. Actually, it's a pretty good title for a, <laughs> for a podcast. Um, no, but uh, but I, I thought you know I honestly thought good. This is fine. Like I'll come back. We're probably just hungry. We'll get some food in us and then we'll record. And it started out pretty normal. Mm-hmm. I paused there so I could edit it and maybe put in a little clip of the pretty normal part. I know. <laughs> It started out pretty normal. No, that's okay. Um, but then we we hit the sticking point. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the evil sister or the wicked sister. And you had this strong emotional response to her character. Yeah. And that's more or less the plot of the movie. But there's a lot more to this movie than just the bare bones plot. And you're making faces at me. like I'm not even looking at you right now. I'm looking way over there. Ollie is unsettled and distressed by this movie. I 
Okay. No, I totally understand because it is an unsettling and distressing movie. But it's not. I'm not unsettled and distressed about the movie. I'm unsettled and distressed about the way Del Toro described the characters. <laughs> I don't like it. It's gross. What is gross about it? Well, the char- the brother and sister are in an incestuous relationship. Right. Because they grew up in an abusive household and blah, 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 blah. Right. The sister is not an interesting character. How come? Because she... You think that she la- like she has depth, but she doesn't. She lacks depth. She's just an obsessive person. Mm-hmm. That's boring. Do you know why that's boring? Because it's happened in so many other things. Severus Snape, one of them. S- just like, you can't, I can't, it's dumb. <laughs> Which, as far as I could tell, was coming from the fact that you didn't think she worked as a character. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a million and a half characters that don't work for people as characters. Like, I thought that's your that was your big problem. Like, mm-hmm. you would you were so just, wow, you just did not like a character that didn't work <laughs> as a movie character. I have watched many a movie, my friend. Yes. There are a lot of characters that don't work. Right. And I just got to deal with it. (laughs) But I was like, okay, well, this is, this is, you're really just not happy with her, but okay, that's, that's cool. Like, let's keep talking. And then things got even, even more intense. Uh And that's when we realized, and you realized, and then you helped me realize that this went deeper than a character who doesn't work in a movie for you. I think that what they did for the characters was distasteful and wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you can't put that kind of stuff in a movie and say that it's not about psychology Mm -hmm. because that's just a stupid thing to do. Okay. And it's not, if it's not going to be about psychology, then just don't put it in there. And we had a really interesting conversation about that. So rather than play our entire episode for people, what we're just we're going to we're going to just be hitting the highlights of that yeah. episode because we thought well initially our idea was let's just redo this whole episode. Um, just sit back. Just I guess my idea was like we'll just brush over a few things, touch on the fact that it was a touchy subject and. You know, just go from there. Maybe just do a really short, quick episode. But looking back, then later on, we decided. There's some good stuff in that episode. Right. And part of our deal, like we said at the beginning of this, is that we are emotionally honest with our audience. Mm -hmm. And the reality was that at the end, well, A, the, the episode actually, I think, ended on a really high note. It did. And we got a lot of good stuff out of it. Like, me understanding you and I think us understanding how we watch movies and interact with entertainment. Mm-hmm. And it uh, allowed me to have some conversations with friends afterwards about our relationships with, with entertainment. And I don't know, just the fact that like 
there is more important things in life than watching movies. Yes. Uh, and probably the most important thing in life is the relationships we have with one another mm-hmm. and that trust we have with one another. Uh, especially, and we talked about this in the episode, like my relationship to you as my child yeah, <laughs> is more important than being like, nah, you gotta watch this movie. Like that's, you know, I don't know. It's easy to, I see people online who say things like, when I have kids, I'm going to show them everything. Like all the crazy movies when they're really young so that they learn to appreciate movies and I'm like, that doesn't really work. No, because, you know, we had that. We we did that. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is like when you're a lot younger and you don't understand a lot of what you're seeing, you can actually deal with things mm-hmm. a lot better because you don't get the implications of things. And then you get older and you you have a deeper understanding of what you're watching and things hit you more emotionally. And I think that's what's happen- happening with you right now. Is stuff that would just be water off your back when you were a kid. Now that you're older and you you understand more about how people work in the world, you're you're catching the deeper implications of the things you're watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's cool. Like that shows that you're maturing as a human being. Yes. <laughs> you know, in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've experienced that. Movies that I didn't find scary when I was a kid, I find scarier as I get older. Movies like The Exorcist. When I watched The Exorcist as a teenager, I was like, that was good. That was a good movie. Not scary, but it was good. Then I watched it when I got older, and I was like, this is one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen. Partly because I have a relationship with my children now, and that movie is very much about the horror of watching your child suffer. And when I was a kid... I didn't know I didn't it's not that I didn't care but I didn't understand understand the weight of that and I'm not saying that people who don't have kids can't appreciate the exorcist god knows like there's a million things to appreciate about the exorcist but it just added a layer Mm -hmm. to that understanding or just the simple fact of just the growing older and the horrors of the world like weighing on your shoulders you go back and you watch movies and they just Things that were scary aren't scary anymore because they, they're not my concerns anymore. But things that weren't scary suddenly become scarier or more dramatic or just something that I don't enjoy watching. When you were talking about The Exorcist, it reminded me of the time we went to the Halloween store. And they yeah. had. I miss doing that because I got actually scared when we went there. It was so fun. To the Halloween store? Uh, With the like the animatronic like. Exorcist doll? Reagan doll? The like zombie babies. That was just really fun. I forgot about that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> We don't hit Halloween stores anymore. We should. They're everywhere. Yeah. Starting in about a month, mm-hmm. they'll be everywhere. Remember, Halloween season begins August 1st, I think. So. Well, first it's my birthday. First it's your birthday. Then it's Halloween season. I think you can start celebrating Halloween season before your birthday. I I celebrate Halloween every month, unless it's December, because Christmas. <laughs> I start celebrating Halloween in J- January 1st. Well, go for it. When do you stop? Um, like, I I just I just take a break when it's Christmas. Yeah, you kind of like let it mellow for a while through November. Start recharging after Christmas. Yeah, I love Halloween. So do I. Uh, but but like you said, like there's there are things that work in movies for some people and things that don't work in movies mm-hmm. for some people. And that's kind of the point of the conversation we had the last the back end of our episode. <laughs> Thank you.
So here's where I'm going to have a talk with our audience about appropriateness of movies for different audiences. So, so far in, in It's Del Toro time, we have watched, well, we've watched all Del Toro's movies. And we have seen that more or less he has created stories that are watchable and enjoyable to people who like this genre, who people who like ghost stories and monster stories and understand that there's tragedy and, you know, like get, get the, uh, get the motivations and understand like that a lot of what he does is symbolic and a lot of what he does is, uh, is there to show like that the world is hard, the world is dark, the world is grim. And all of a sudden we have this one movie that is delving into styles and themes and imagery that isn't appropriate for everyone. Um, and we all have our likes and dislikes. We all have our triggers. Um, we all have things that should not be in. We all have things. We, I know people who, you know, who see a movie that has a murder in it and they're like, I'm done. I'm out. I don't need to see a movie that glorifies murder. And I can be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not glorifying murder. You're, this is just a plot point. Like, and they're like, nope. I don't need to see a movie about people killing people. People who enjoy that kind of movie have something wrong with them. Um, I know people who don't enjoy movies about crime or uh, duplicity, where someone lies to another person and that's part of the storyline. They're like, nope, I'm out. I don't understand why people would enjoy movies. I do not enjoy movies about lying, where a, a hero lies or someone lies or anyone lies. That is not enjoyable. That's where I draw the line. And we all have our lines. Um, I believe that we found one of your lines. I am your father. I apologize because I did not know where your line was. I mean, obviously you can't always know where a person's line is and you don't always know where your own line is. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to filmmaking, films, art in general, and obviously leading up to this, we uh, have enjoyed every single one of these movies. And it's funny because like, you and I were talking at the afterwards and you were very like passionate and very like like angry. And I was like, oh, this is, this is something. This is different. Well, it's probably an interesting conversation. <laughs> I should have known that there was more going on than just you not liking a character. There's themes in the movie that you were like, uh-oh. And it ruined your enjoyment of, of the film. And so for that, I apologize. I apologize as your, as your parent, as your guardian, as your father, for exposing you to something that does not sit well with you psychologically. I feel terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, mean I, I feel terrible. I feel guilty. I mean... I don't blame myself personally because I've all we, you and I have always been very open about the art we share and I've just been like, here, watch this. <laughs> and, uh, and not everything's for everyone and not every plot is for everyone and not every 
character motivation is for everyone. And there are things out there that are distasteful for some people and just don't work. Like will never work. And, or, you know, right now don't work. And that's why, you know, like when I, when I'm online and I see people talking about, I don't like this movie and someone else says, how can you not like it? And they're like, I just don't, I don't like this movie. I don't like anything about it. And people jump on someone else for not liking what they perceive as a good movie. It always upsets me because I'm like, you don't know what's going on in someone else's head. Um, Del Toro obviously made a movie that he thought was entertaining that I find entertaining. Um, it doesn't mean I approve of the character's actions. To me, it us all fits together as part of an overall like gothic story. And now I'm looking back and I'm realizing that it may have, I may have been coming off as insensitive when I was trying to explain gothic romance to you off the air because I was missing the point of what was upsetting you. I'm like, oh, if you just understood this genre better, <laughs> I should read to you some Rebecca and you would see like where this all came. Like now I understand that it's like, it's the movie itself. It's the storyline itself. So not, I'm going to jump, I'm not, I'm not going to jump to the end of the episode, but I'm going to jump to the end of the episode and just say like, obviously this doesn't get your recommendation. No. <laughs> uh, it's certainly, I would say this is certainly not a movie for kids. This is not a movie you're like, you liked Hellboy. Let's watch Crimson Peak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or even like Pan's Labyrinth. Um, but then again, I mean, there's plenty of people who would see Pan's Labyrinth and be like, I'm out. Nope, I'm done halfway through. But Crimson Peak is different. Um, it's different. Yeah, it's definitely different for you. Um, it's got themes of, of... It deals more with... It also deals way more with intense personal relationships than like anything he's done. Like his movies, his characters have always been wonderful characters, but they've always been at a bit of a remove from each other. There's always been a little space between the characters. In this movie, it's three characters who are just mashed together in this stifling house. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, let's plant a surrender flag in this conversation. But I want to move our conversation over to a little more open place where we can breathe a little bit better. I just want to talk about, if you're game, the design of this movie. I'm not going to have a lot to say, but... But I just want to talk about what it looks like because I feel like we missed... If, if nothing else, this movie is a triumph of design. It's beautiful. It's beautifully created. Yeah, the he poured his heart and soul and money. <laughs> it wasn't that expensive of a movie. Actually, that makes sense. That's what's bazonkers about it. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but this movie looks like a million dollars. Well, I mean, obviously it's made for more than a million dollars. <laughs> this movie looks like a hundred million dollars, and as far as I can remember, it was produced for far less than a hundred million. It was produced for fifty-five million dollars. Dang. Which is pennies for a modern motion picture. Especially for someone who just made Pacific Rim. <laughs> to be like, it's going to be like $55 million. Uh, they, they, they put that money up on the screen. Like every single dollar spent on this movie you see. The house is a gothic nightmare. And they built that thing on a soundstage. Uh, they filmed it in Canada, I think. Like the uh the uh the American parts were filmed in Canada because 
Nobody wants to go to America. <laughs> I think it was more no place in America was bare bones enough. Like they would have had to have done so much. This was interesting. This is something I never think about, but they were like, we had to find places that they were allowed to paint and rebuild. And they found for their house in the beginning, for her house, like her father's house, they found a, uh, a Scottish Rite temple that had been owned for decades and run for decades by just a bunch of old men. And they were like, and these guys had never even changed the carpet. So they were like, can we come in and like repaint and like re-carpet and redo the inside? And the guys are like, yes. <laughs> so they were able to like re-jigger the whole building to look like the inside of their house. Um, but yeah, that mansion was constructed. It was sculpted in miniature and then blown up to huge size so that uh, they said it was like alien. They wanted to make it like, because in the movie Alien, they built that spaceship set. I know. I read the book. And it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like you can follow these people through the hallways. It's meant to be claustrophobic and dark and it's very real. Yeah. you. It's like you're inside an animal. And even though there's, I was just going to say there's no autopsies in this movie, but there actually kind of is an autopsy in the beginning. You see a dead body on a slab. There's, okay, this is something that always bugged me. The father is murdered in the beginning mm -hmm. by having his head repeatedly slammed into a bathroom sink over and over and over again until it not only smashes the sink, it breaks his head in half. Like half of his skull is gone. They find his body and they're like, he slipped and fell in the bathroom. And I'm like, the sinks are obviously made of like not marble but like heavy pores if an old man had slipped and fallen he would have banged his head on the sink he may have died but it wouldn't have smashed the sink to pieces <laughs> crushed his entire skull and left him like just in pieces on the on the ground like that was the one thing that i'm just like not buying it people don't want to believe that something like that could happen i guess they really don't want to believe uh and the and doctor's just like are you serious? Right, right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he probably would have pointed out, like, no, this guy was repeatedly smashed into a sink if he hadn't just tried to turn the body over in front of... Why was he trying to turn the body over in the first place? <laughs> like, let me look at its back. I can't understand. Like, <laughs> it was a bad choice. He should have waited until she was out of the room. Like, he should have waited until Edith had, like, turned around. Then he could have been like, I just need to look at the back of the back of the dead guy. Because I think if they had discovered the father was murdered in the very beginning, it would have kept everything from happening she would have stayed for the investigation there would have been like a big they would have looked at his desk and seen that he had written a check to try to get tom hiddleston to leave like it all would have just fallen apart like right then also i'm pretty sure she knew her father had been murdered she's smart she's yeah. not blind again like and she had just been told by her husband your father tried to get me to leave and to break your heart like hmm yeah hmm <laughs> the uh <laughs> This is that thing, though, where, where and this is the thing you, you called out earlier, that I it works for me, it does not work for you, which is where Del Toro said, you can't psychoanalyze these characters. Like, they're following the rules of a genre. They're following the rules of this crazy story, um, which seems like a cop-out when you say it out loud. I understand what it means in my heart. And so I'm like, well, of course she didn't, because she's this character, and she's unknowingly becoming a character in her own story. Um, let's talk about Bern Gorman. Let's talk about my favorite character, the only one who has my heart in this movie. <laughs> the character with all the five lines. Yes. Burn Gorman. Tell us who Burn Gorman is. He's a private investigator. 
from America. Yep. <laughs> and he... Private investigates. <laughs> he privately <laughs> investigates. He digs up dirt on uh, Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain. And like, he was just very straightforward about all... Like, there were no like twists and turns. He didn't, he, he didn't like blackmail anybody. He didn't like... He just took his money, gave him the information, and left. Like, there was nothing complicated about that transaction right which is one of the reasons why i'm like oh they were gonna get caught like any day now like any second now like because it only took Vern gorman like a day of investigation to it be like, like 20 minutes he's like oh look what i found out this guy's still married oh wait look like, he's married three more times they murdered their mother like oh look their father's also dead which gives me that it's one of those movie things that i hate where uh where the father figure finds out that tom hiddleston is still married uh, and he, Jessica, uh, and, uh, Edith is in the room and he's like, will you leave me alone with Thomas and his sister? I need to speak to them. And I'm like, just tell her right now to say, I just found out he's still married. You can't, you shouldn't marry him. Exactly. Just, uh, just say it. it right there. Just say it like 10 seconds. I just found out that he is still married. I need to talk to them to get them out of the city. Cause they are bad. They are bad people. But instead he has to do that whole. And I think that's one of the father's tragic flaws, which is that even though he loves his daughter very much and supports her trying to be a writer, he still sees her as a woman and a child. Like he's still a man in the early 20th century. And he's like, please, like, I can't tell my dog. I, I can't just say this guy's a scumbag. Here's proof. I have to work behind her back pay him off and tell him to break her heart so she forgets about him. Like, just tell your daughter the truth. But I think that's, like, his tragic thing. If if this ever happened to me, would you just tell me the truth? Yes, of course I would. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, look what I found out. Well, I think I would hope you would have found out. Like, no, like, I would have found just, out. I would have been like, this guy's sketchy. In the age of Google, it's probably a lot easier. You don't even need a Burn Gorman. No, I would I would hire Burn Gorman anyways. <laughs> yeah, what else is he doing? <laughs> He's probably doing a lot. He's Pacific a very successful actor. He's a successful actor. He's a Pacific Rim too. He's a successful actor. I'm sorry, Vern Gorman. You're a very good actor. I really like watching you. This movie needed Charlie Day as his like bumbling sidekick. I would have I want I want the movie to be about them. <laughs> I want the movie to be about this guy who's not even in the movie. I want the movie to be about him like investigating into them. I'm I like, wish what happened was I wish he would like this camera had followed Vern Gorman for like just a few more seconds. Like he walks into his office. And like Charlie Day, like you just see him for like maybe five seconds. He's like, hey, what's going on? And the door shuts. <laughs> like, oh, how's your day going? And you're like, oh, maybe they're the ancestors of like the characters from Pacific Rim. Because Pacific Rim's Charlie, Charlie Hunnam. Pacific Rim's own Charlie Hunnam plays the American doctor in this movie. And I like him. He's a charming gent. I like the, I'm, I'm, I, I like the doctor in the movie. He's mm-hmm. good. He. I wish he had had better luck. Luck. <laughs> he doesn't die. He gets hurt. He's traumatized for the rest of his life. He really is. I mean, they're all traumatized for their life. There. I said earlier that Tom Hiddleston does a heel face turn because uh, even though he's a bad guy, he doesn't want Edith to be killed in the end. Uh, he gets. So he says. The doctor shows up to save her, but Edith's been like drugged and she's broken her ankle. Or well, something. she didn't break her ankle. She was bushed over a railing by the sister. And the only reason she didn't die was because she fell in the snow. Right, because the this beautiful this dilapidated mansion has a hole in the roof where leaves and snow fall through. Which is beautiful. Like just looking at like the up. Mm-hmm. Good. 
but put a tarp maybe put a tarp over it they had like two dollars <laughs> who's gonna climb up there and put a tarp that old man probably i don't not. think he could climb up five <laughs> stairs but uh, he comes to save her he figures out what's going on and he's trying to carry her out he gets stabbed by uh by lucille and then uh lucille hands the knife to her brother to thomas and says like are you going to be man enough to do it this time and so he goes up to the doctor and he whispers to him he's like you're a doctor tell me where to tell this him were to stab you so that he gets so the doctor gets stabbed but he gets stabbed like a non-vital organ but like he's still gonna bleed out <laughs> yeah he's still he is in danger of bleeding out and he's very weak but uh i thought that was pretty shrewd although as you pointed out just pretend to stab him <laughs> like there's no Je- jessica chastain is not gonna like it doesn't walk over and like make sure you really stabbed him like you could have just like done a little stage stab and he would have been okay but i also wonder like why she wasn't suspicious of the fact that he then helped him down into the cellar. I don't think, I think she was too busy forcing um, Edith to sign the papers. I think oh, that's she was doing right. that during. That's right. She dragged her up to sign, sign over her fortune. Which. Which, okay. I love the symbolism of her using the pen her father gave her in the beginning. That was. To save her own life, to stab Lucille and get away. It's very satisfying when she finally does it. Because the whole time we're just like, stab her, get out or something. Don't just sit there. Also, like, if she had just not signed the papers. Well, I think that if she hadn't, I think the physical threat of Lucille was enough. Like, because Lucille had all these, like, sharp knives. Yeah, but she knew she wasn't going to get killed. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Why didn't she just stab her when Lucille was doing that? I don't know. Why didn't she just steal all the keys? Because then when he burned the papers, it wouldn't have been as satisfying. Because then he burns all the documents. And then it's satisfying because he burns her signature. I don't know. It all, it's all puzzle pieces. They don't always make sense. <laughs> and that poor puppy dog, a dog does get killed in yeah. the movie. You don't see it happen. You, no, but you hear it. They do that Hollywood yap sound that dogs do when they get killed in Hollywood. And movies. the crunching. Did you not oh, hear that's the right. crunching? There was some crunching? There's a whole chapter in the making of this book, not about dog crunching, <laughs> but about the sound design. And I do want to talk about it. The first time I ever saw this movie, because I didn't see it in the theaters, I saw it uh, with headphones on. And I was like, this movie sounds amazing. And it, the, the reading about the way they like had different like moans and creaks in the house. And apparently this is something I thought was cool since del Toro himself started as a special effects person. Mm-hmm. He is like in, he's in the trenches. And when the Foley guys were trying to, were trying to come up with sounds, del Toro would come into the, into the sound studio and just start screwing around and creating his own sounds for them. Uh, and they were like, just watching him work. They said it was amazing. Like he, he's like a kid in a candy store. Like, and he's doing crunching sounds and chewing sounds and moaning sounds. And then they use some of his sounds, like, because he knows what he wants. Because he's an artist who started in the trenches as a designer and a hands-on creator. And that's why that's why artists love working with him because he knows their jobs. Like he understands how hard what they're doing is and how to do it. So he knows how to ask for things. I don't know. I just think that's pretty cool. Oh, um, and this is when, like, what I was doing before is in no way me being like, Del Toro, go away. <laughs> that was, that's, it's not about him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that, and I think that, wow, this is hard to say without sounding like, well, um, I think your your ability to say that shows an understanding of the complicated nature of art. Um, 
that you don't that you're not blaming the artist uh i write stories that i would never show to anybody like, right so they're too much um because he wasn't he wasn't doing it with malicious intent or to dwell or to he's not a he's not a, a shock artist and he's no. not a uh, what is the word i'm looking for uh, exploitation artist he's not making an exploitation film uh, because there's plenty of those and uh it's the difference between him using holocaust imagery in the strain and someone using holocaust imagery when they make ilsa the she-wolf of the ss holocaust exploitation movie which is a thing that exists sexy nazis um that was a bad era in history <laughs> when we made those movies um but uh we didn't make them no like i think those are all those were grindhouse movies i think that the strain using the holocaust imagery was almost the end of my tether. borderline distasteful yeah it was almost the end of and i think this was the breaking point yeah like okay enough which makes me wonder about the shape of water I don't have a breaking point. <laughs> like I have things that I'm just like, this is gross. This is stupid, but it doesn't, I don't get angry when I see things like that. Very rarely do I. Um, I'm wondering if that is a movie I should research first before we go see it. That's a good idea. Just for like a few trigger points. I, for all I know, it's, there's nothing because I know that your trigger points are few, but they're there and they're strong. And I now know another one. Um, but I am more than happy to research. This is not me being magnanimous. This is me being a father <laughs> and a and a family member. Um, to research the shape of water. Now I can guarantee you that there is nothing like this in Frankenstein <laughs> or Troll Hunters, <laughs> which is our next movie or series or book or idea concept. It's not a book. That we'll be covering. Troll Hunters? It's not a book. It's not a book. It's not a book. I'm holding the book right here. It's what do you not mean? <laughs> a book. I'm holding the novel Troll Hunters, Daniel Krauss, Gamera Toro. No, you aren't. Yes. I'll be talking about the book. Because this is my breaking point. <laughs> <laughs> this was mine right here. My breaking point was the novel of Troll Hunters, ladies and gentlemen. I'll talk about that some other time. Um,. So we're in an awkward position now. Mm -hmm. Well, not awkward because we're honest human beings. And this is, for those of you who don't know, I have a Berenstain Bears podcast. And it's called Deep in Bear Country, Berenstain Bearcast. <laughs> Give it a listen. Berenstain Bearcast at WordPress.com. Uh, <laughs> but when I started it, <clears throat> I actually wrote to the Berenstain Bear company. And I said, hey, I'm doing a Berenstain Bears podcast. I just want you to know that I'm going to be commenting on this work. I'm approaching it from... You know, however appropriate or inappropriate this might be, I'm approaching it as works of art. Mm -hmm. And I'm so I'm not just going to be I'm not here to make fun of them, but I'm also here to, you know, to to bring criticism when criticism is due. And so, you know, they just don't want you to be surprised that there's someone out there talking about your product that's not just heaping it with praise. And I got a wonderful response back from Mike Berenstain, who said. That's a, that's fine. That's that is what art exists for. Art is not worth anything if you cannot be honest about it. And so, please, feel free to criticize where you see criticism is due. And 
Guillermo del Toro is an artist to the nth degree. And as an artist, he has faced criticism for his works, usually from people who just don't like it or think it's just junk because it has monsters in it. We're coming from a place where it's a, it's a more fundamental criticism. But that's okay because we are honest and smart and understand that not everything is for everyone. So here we are at the part of our show where we're like, do you recommend this for people? And I suddenly realize that that is a weak question because it should be in several different layers, which is, did you like this movie at all? Would you recommend it with qualifications? Would you just say it's not worth checking out? For our listeners' benefit, what would you say? It's a good movie. It's not for me. Mm -hmm. But if you have a problem with relationships, with incest, with horrible, horrible people, just don't watch it. It's not worth it. (laughs) I totally agree. Um Obviously, if you've gotten this far in the episode, you've probably made up your mind whether or not you want to watch this if you haven't seen it. I mean, I'm, I assume, I'm assuming most of the people who listen to this show have watched these movies. How I should take a poll. All three of you out there. <laughs> I know Lil hasn't seen this movie. Um, hey, Lil, it's me. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the movie and you've made it this far and you're like still on the fence, I would say that the themes are there. Uh, they aren't hidden. This isn't stuff that's suggested. It's stuff that's shown. Um, it's not a graphic movie in those lines, but it's there. It's in your face. And um, if that's something that is a that is a trigger for you, or even if it's just something that you find, you know what? I don't need this in my life because that's fair too. You don't even have to be. And that's another thing. You don't have to be. A person who's gone through trauma or has had or has or has PTSD or has been psychologically affected by by themes to say you don't want to watch them. Like if you're like, you know what? I don't like watching slasher films. Oh, does that trigger you? No. You know what? I just don't want to see that. I don't need that in my life. Oh, but no, but these movies are really good. Like there's a really good. You know what? I don't need that in my life. Life is short. Watch what you want to watch. Don't watch Happy Tree Friends. Yeah. Remember when that was like a big thing online? You were probably too young for when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, Happy Tree Friends was the start of that whole like, let's have cute cartoon characters killing each other. I wasn't warned. Okay, so one of my friends showed it to me at a sleepover, and I was not warned about what was going to happen. Yeah. I cried, and it was awful, and I hated it. Yeah. I hate Happy Tree Friends just on general principles. Um, this movie is better than Happy Tree Friends, by the way. Yes. But but <clears throat> this is I think this is our one of our mission one of our can be one of our agreed upon statements uh which is that don't watch something if you think it's going to upset you. There's no reason to. There is no movie in the world that is worth that. I don't watch sad romance movies cuz I think they're dumb and I they make me really emotional. Right. I don't watch movies about well, I mean, I do watch movies where bad things happen to children, but I don't pursue movies that are about dying kids or things like that. It's too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if that element is in a movie, I'll watch it. And But there are certain themes that I'm just like, you know what? I don't need to see this. 
I don't need to see movies about rape. I don't need to see movies about sex. <laughs> and that doesn't make me, I'm not saying that makes me a better person, but there are themes that I choose not, I don't pursue. If they surprise me in a movie, sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't need to see that. Sometimes I'm like, okay, well, that, the filmmaker earned this. They earned this thing's position in the movie. Um, but I'm not saying that makes me a better or worse person or film goer or, or that, that, that choosing not to watch a movie means that you're not serious about film. Like, and, and anyone who would, would tell you that, anyone who would say, well, you obviously don't take film very seriously if you won't watch something because it has certain themes. Screw that person. Like, get somebody better in your life. Get someone better in your life. Talk to better people. Talk to people who understand humanity. Talk to people who put people's, you know, people in before film. Talk to people who put your comfort before their enjoyment. Enjoyment. Yeah. Talk to people who are actually concerned about you as opposed to the feelings of a movie like how dare you ignore this movie it will be, its feelings will be hurt. like who cares who cares if you don't want to go see the new star wars film maybe you just don't like star wars who cares if you don't want to go see the latest like transformers, transformers movie. or even like the room not the not or room not the room that's, that's everyone, every, everyone should see the room i've never seen the brie larson movie room where she's held captive in a room so what if you don't want to go see that movie it's about things you don't want to see and don't want to deal and don't want to like have in your life and that doesn't mean you're rejecting the reality of things that happen to people it just means you know what i don't want that to be part of my movie going experience it happens enough in real life it doesn't need to happen in your you don't need to think about it if you want to see a movie like that more power to you go for it if that's if that's part of your movie going experience we are human beings and we are so much more important than the movies we go see and the books we read and the entertainment we consume and like stephen king once said we all like to stop and look at the car crash from time to time we do i love that i'm sorry and i bet if i had Guillermo del toro in this room and we were like we watched this movie and ollie got very upset by some of the themes he would be like it's not a movie for you yeah like and he, and he wouldn't be like my movie he'd be like <laughs> he doesn't talk like Count Chocula. he, does, he, does, sorry, he doesn't what? talk like a stereotypical italian <laughs> my, my movie, movie. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, like i'm a movie <laughs> Mamma mia. that's horrible i'm sorry to all, all the italians listening in the audience that's not how italians talk you don't talk like mario eating a plate of spaghetti <laughs> anyway gilderdor is not italian <laughs> i thought i was talking like count chocula <laughs> blah blah my movie blah <laughs> no you, you were talking like Mario. He wouldn't be upset by the fact that someone didn't care for the thing. He would, you know, as an artist, he'd probably be upset if someone said, you didn't take this seriously enough. You did this thoughtlessly. Cause he didn't. Because I, yeah, I know for a fact that Yamato Tournament does nothing thoughtlessly. I bet the binding, but the glue used to bind together the making of coffee table book on this film was chosen by him <laughs> for specific aesthetic reasons. Like That's how extra I'm going to be in the future when I'm writing my book. <laughs> so this is something that we will think about in the future as we, as we go along because you are my child and you are my co-host and you have equal say in this. So if, if we're coming up on it, because we will be pursuing movies from other filmmakers in the future. And if, and most of these are from the early days of Hollywood when like, there wasn't a whole lot of questionable content, mostly just monsters and like roaring. But you know, like we'll we'll keep that in mind because I'm I try to be conscientious of my friends and family, and I know you would appreciate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so we are at a, this was this was an odd episode. It really was. So it was the last episode. It was the book of life. It was the book of life, and we all cried at the end. Yep. And now we cried during this one. What's happening to our show? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm a teenager. Well, and I think this is just because we're awesome people and we are honest with our listeners. I think we're awesome. I think we're awesome too. High five. High five over the table. We've never done that before. That's not even a thing we do as, no. as family members. It's like <laughs> father and child. I don't think we've ever given each other. Not like a serious high five. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the next time we'll be discussing Troll Hunters, which is a book. No, it's not. And a TV series. I can agree to that. On Netflix. Yep. Um, and until then, wait, we never say until then. Wait. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Wait. I'm Phil. And I'm Ollie. And we'll see you next time when it's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. <laughs> My movies. <laughs> so, uh, at the risk of like repeating ourselves, um, but I guess my uh, I guess my big question though is like, looking back on the experience we had a week ago, like what are your thoughts on what happened between us as? Well, I think it was good. I think it was a good experience for us because we're kind of weird about our emotions around each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the show has been really helpful with that. Yeah. Um, like, I always kind of just kind of, like, I always told someone else instead of coming to you guys. And I think that it was just very, like, it was a growing point for us. Yeah. I think that it's also like a good idea. Like if you, even if it's not something that we watch together, if you see something on them in a movie or on TV that doesn't work, it doesn't work. Or like, even if you can't figure out why, like you're like, I saw this thing and I just can't, it left me feeling gross or it left me feeling like, ugh, like, because I forget because you watch so many things and you have always watched things that are a little beyond your like sophistication level, like emotional, not like, no. Ooh, uh, a <laughs> glass of wine. And I know you don't earn enough money to appreciate the implications of this. <laughs> no, because like emotional sophistication, your developmental sophistication. Like, I always, I've always like let you push those boundaries because I think like by pushing against those boundaries, you can grow into them. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, I've always been like, I've always, I tend to forget where you are personally and emotionally. Um, I am a very emotionally mature person. <laughs> But because of that, that's our real person. I forget that like there are things that could like be potential emotional pitfalls for you. So like I'm asking like you if you if you do experience that to bring it to me mm-hmm. and say like I don't understand why I had this reaction. Like let's see if we can work through it. Like we did on the show. Yeah. Um, because a it might help you feel better, and b it might help you just understand where you are. And, you know, you, 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 like, there's plenty of stuff that we talked about this in the episode, like, that you won't pursue mm, and you yeah. know not to pursue. Um, but, you know, in case things catch you by surprise, or even if you do watch something that you th- think would have had a negative trigger for you, but then it didn't, like, and then you can, you could, we can talk about that and say, like, well, wonder why, why that was. Maybe, like, the, the movie earned its uh, use of those, of, of certain imageries or things better than other things. You know, if you're uh, concerned that you might have that kind of response to a movie, it's worth it's worth looking into. Having a friend watch it for you, someone you trust who knows your knows your triggers, knows what you're not cool with. Find those friends and say, "Look, I'm interested in seeing this. Is there anything in there that might give me pause?" 
are there any moments that I might wish to avoid? Or can you, if you've seen it, can you watch it with me and just say, this is a scene you probably, you may not want to like just expose yourself to. That's totally fair. That's what um, my friend Lil did for me when we first watched uh, Pan's Labyrinth together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's smart. And that's, that's, that's not just being a, a good friend. That's being like a, like a, a good, like entertainment steward and just saying like, I want you to enjoy this movie. So I'm just going to tell you there's this scene you're not going to want to watch. I'll tell you what happens if you want. And then we can just enjoy the rest of the movie. Or in the case of Pan's Labyrinth, suffer with the characters through the rest of the movie and then like come out the other end, change as a person. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like there's no one way to watch a movie or enjoy entertainment or be entertained. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we brought the last episode to a close, I thought, pretty organically. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like we have to, like, do a big wrap up on this. Uh, so we're not going to. No. We're just going to let that episode take care of itself. This was a hybrid. This was a mishmoosh. Mishmoosh. Mash. Mish. Mash mosh. Del Toro time. Bye. that voice crack though i don't know how to do it i don't know how to end an episode that we've already ended so uh a song happy birthday (laughs) to you it's not my birthday yeah but i haven't actually had to gotten to sing it to you oh sing it happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear father Happy birthday to you. And many more. My birthday was July 11th. By the time you hear this, it'll have been the week before. But that's okay. I think the week before. I hope I can get this edited enough time. I've, now I've got a deadline. Because now I don't want to sound like an idiot. People are like, oh, it was two weeks ago. And then I'll be like, sorry. I could go in and re-edit it and be like, my birthday was two weeks ago. And everyone will be like, how does he know? He's so good with timing. Is this going to be in the episode? I bung- bungled the end of the episode, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know how to edit this. I think we already ended the episode before. So yeah, I, I sang you happy birthday. That was a great ending. Oh, okay. Yeah. Goodbye. I love you. I love you too.